Hey there, this is Kate. Before we start, I just wanted to let you know that in this podcast, we discuss some traumatic childhood experiences that might be difficult for some people to hear. And before you jump into the podcast, just wanted to make you aware of that. Thanks so much. You are alive to shine. I'm Beth. And I'm Kate. And this is The Shine Podcast, where we meet lots of different people and hear about the ways that they light up the world. And here's why we're doing this. We've been changed and affected by people who shine with the love of Jesus. And the world needs people like that and like you right now. So be encouraged and let your light shine. Hey, so you have some gaps in your bio. Can I? No, I don't. Yes, you do. (laughs) I have questions. (laughs) I thought I did a really good job in five minutes. You always got to factor the time in there. I know, but I want to know. You can ask anything, just you have to be prepared for the answer. You were moved out of Montana Mm -hmm. for like seven to eight years. Yeah. Wow, there is a big gap there, isn't there? (laughs) Uh, When I was born, um, my mother and father had a divorce right away, so I never really lived with my father. For a short stint, my mom tried to leave me with him, but his girlfriend didn't like me. And he told me that if he didn't make me go back to my mom, she probably would have killed me. So I went back the to girlfriend. my... Mm-hmm, the girlfriend? The uh, girlfriend. Oddly enough, of all the memories in childhood, she's she made her way in there. So I went back with my mom. My mom was mentally ill, severely, and an alcoholic and a drug addict. Um, she just quickly delivered me to an aunt. I must have been about two. She had just given birth to my little sister. And so from two to probably about that time five, I lived with an aunt separate from my sister. I went to my grandmother's house. I was young. I I got out of school one day. It must have been kindergarten. I don't know. And I walked to my grandmother's and knocked on the door and said, I've had enough. Where's my mother? You know, she was just MIA. And my, my grandma said, honey, I don't know. But when I see her, I'll tell her you stopped by and looked for, didn't even give me a ride. I'm like, okay, you know, I'm a kindergartner at this point. About a month later, my mom showed up with some ludicrous story about how she was working for the FBI. And she went and stole my sister back in the middle of the night from the people she gave her to and came and got me and explained to me, because she must have heard that I was looking for her. Uh, that she was working for the FBI and she was undercover and it would have been too risky for. And so she moved us over to the Tri-Cities. I don't know what her connection. I think she had a sister that had landed up there. And so she moved us over there. When you were five? Yeah. Is that Kennewick, Washington? Uh-huh. And you were there for seven years with your mom? No, that, now you understand why it was so vague. I, you know, I was just glad to see my mom. I'm like, this is great. She's back. This is, we're going to this new place. And we showed up at a hotel that my aunt was sh- shacked up with. Illegal immigrant was in the dumps of the city. And we kind of just jumped from house to house, couch to couch from there. And she landed up at a house that was fairly nice, had a big basement, but it was a drug house. That's how she ended up there. So she would go there to party. And she would just leave us in the basement. We were just hungry. I can remember being hungry and asking the lady, you know, sometime around 11, as soon as all the partying died down for food and stuff. And one day I asked her, I said, well, we've been, we've been down here. We'd like to go outside and play. Can we go outside and play? And of course, no sign of my mother. And so we went outside to play. And while we were outside playing, the neighbor lady, who was a born-again Christian, thank you, Jesus. 
she saw us and she noticed us because, sorry if I get a little emotional, because God is so good. She saw us and they noticed us because my sister was naked. She didn't have any clothing on. And so to make a long story short, somehow magically they contacted my mom and said, hey, we'd like to have the girls. She had us for a period of four years. We lived with her and it was the best four years of my life. I got a four-year childhood. And then they decided, these people just, I mean, they spent thousands of dollars on me and my teeth were a mess. By then I had my adult teeth in and, and they were just good people and they taught me about Jesus and I met Jesus and they decided they wanted to adopt us. My mom, I guess, just couldn't have that. So my mom showed up one random day and, and said, well, yeah, I'll let you adopt him, but I just want to take him for a ride and say goodbye before. And of course... You know, they were gullible, and she took us and didn't bother to bring us back. How old were you at that time? I mean, just over 10. <clears throat> My life drastically changed once again because we went from living in, I mean, I never had to worry about a meal, at health care, at clean bed, into a single room shack again with men, strange men coming and going. And she would find us a place. She was one of these people that she would find a place, live there as long as she could, she'd pay one month's rent and then live as long as she could legally without paying rent before they would come and kick you out. And then once she got the kick out call, she'd come in the middle of the night and just say, okay, girls, time to go. Grab a couple of things and out the door we'd go and on to the next place. We got a little bit of stability. We landed in a place called the Sunny Slope Homes. It was, it was a place where low-income families lived. So I had a crash course in diversity because all the kids that lived there were African-American, Mexican, Hispanic. Some of my best friends were Filipino. So we lived there for about a year and a half and had some stability until we got kicked out of low-income housing. And she decided she had to move us back to Montana. We moved back in with my grandmother. I was back in Montana. When did you feel like you were an adult doing things on your own? I was an adult probably... When we landed at the house, when she took us from the people that had, were trying to adopt us, because my sister and I had had an opportunity to develop a relationship over that time. And so immediately then I became the protector. And children that have backgrounds like me, they tend to have that overly mature, protective mom kind of thing going on. And I definitely had it. And so I just spent most of the rest of my time doing things to try and protect my sister. So how trying old were to provide. you when you moved back to Montana? 15? Uh, yeah, 15. I got to tell you, the drastic change in environment was something else because I went from wonderful Christian home, no violence, no drugs, security, stability, to just back into craziness, just back into we're having macaroni and cheese for the first week and steaks and filet mignon, and then we're going to go starve for the rest of the, you know, that's that pattern when you're on welfare. I don't mean to offend anyone, but that's the pattern that, that you have. So I went back into that. But while I was in Tri-Cities and while I lived with the, the I call them grandma and grandpa, they were mid-50s. They had already raised seven kids successfully. They went to a little Nazarene church, which I quickly started attending with them and got baptized in the Holy Spirit when I was about eight, eight and a half. Fell in love with Jesus. Her husband was very, he was an entrepreneur. He started his own company and he his company was building houses. And so he just began to pour into me. 
and say, you can do anything you want in life as long as you're willing to work for it. And so I sat under his tutelage for those four or five years, and even longer, because once my mother was sure that they couldn't take us from him, she allowed us to go back and see him. So they would come by and bring us bananas and ice milk. I don't know if you remember that stuff. And I would go to work for her. I'd get my first job at 13 working for her because she ran a daycare, and I would go in on Monday, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday and clean her house so I could have some extra spending money. Bring, she'd give canned foods and and so they, in fact, they even came and saw us once we were in Montana. Best time of my life. I always get very teary-eyed. I get very emotional because I shudder to think what not only my life, but the lives of my children would have been like if it weren't for one person putting their needs, you know, who's going to take a couple of kids off the street and raise them like their own? And they did. And it was amazing. It changed my life. I met Jesus, made me a hard worker, determined to succeed. So I became a statistics breaker is what what my life has been. I'm a survivor. Yeah. So where did you graduate okay, from high a, school? Here's, a, here's another long story. When I went with my mother, she was always needing money for drugs, alcohol. I was a young girl, and I met this guy that was a really inappropriate relationship. He was 20, maybe 21, 22. And she kind of allowed him to move in with us so that he he had a job and he he brought money into the household. She kind of, gosh, I don't know how to say this eloquently, but she kind of put an environment to where my relationship with a man would bring money into the household, if you know what I mean. And so he lived with us and he was very abusive verbally, physically, used to beat me up and it was just a bad situation. And somehow I managed to get out of that. And um, when I was 18, I just left the house. I had a friend that was a doll and said, you can come live with me till you can get him out of your house. And he finally moved out. And by then I was 17, 18 years old. And I met this guy. He was 18 years old. He, we had this car club and he was moving to Nevada. He was a Mormon. Um, my grandmother's Mormon too. So I was familiar with that ideology. Didn't really fall for it or believe in it, but I knew what the Mormons were about and I knew it would be a clean environment. So I tagged along with him and his folks and when I was 18 and moved down to Vegas. Moved in with the Bishop of the Mormon Church down there. Now, the reason this happened is because my home life got to be so destructive. It's cold in Montana. And my mother would take all the money and waste it. And I would come home and we'd have no power in the middle of winter. We would have no food in the house. And my mother was neurotic. God love her. I, I got to walk you through this, you know, because this all pans out in the end. But she had like 900 cats. It was just a mess. The house smelled awful. She was a cigarette smoker. And I say that to say that high school became irrelevant in my life. Who is thinking about going and getting a high school education when you have no food, no heat, no stability, and an abuser living in the household with you. You don't think about things like that. You just don't fit in. I lied on my birth certificate and got a job at Kentucky Fried Chicken and started working. Probably about 16. I just worked to support myself and, you know, so I had some money for food and whatnot. And I guess uh, I lasted probably the end of my sophomore year of high school and then I dropped out. I was really good at school. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I had one teacher tell me, I don't know how you do it. You're here one day a week and you got better grades than the kids that sit here five days a week. 
I loved school. Ever since I was eight years old, all I wanted to do was be a chemist or an engineer. So I always knew I, I wanted an education. I knew I wanted to be an engineer. So I took what I was dealt, did what I needed to do to survive. and. So to get in college, did you take your GED? I did. I had lied on my birth certificate so I could go ahead and take it before I was legally supposed to do that. Back then, you could, you had the typewriters. You could do that. You could actually feed the paper through and put your birth date in there. And so I'm like, well, this works. I'll just get my GED and put that in the bag and just let that wait there. And um, I came back and I came, stayed in Las Vegas. Oh, had a wonderful experience with the Lord. Just amazing. Rededicated my life. And oddly enough, the kid that I went down there with, he didn't want to lead a pure life. He didn't want to do that. And I'm like, I'm leaving. That's what I want. So I got on a bus and rode all the way back from Vegas, back up to Montana. My grandma picked me up and I moved back in with my mom at that point. Back into poverty, back into having nothing. I was getting told then that, well, I don't get any welfare money for you. You're going to have to find your own way. You know, that was just how my mom was. Like, I don't get any money for you. There's no benefit for you being in this house. So you're going to have to get out. I got hooked up with another bad guy. He was 28. I was 18. And um, I ended up, uh, do. I guess I want to say that you just, you do what you need to do to survive. So I got, I ended up getting pregnant by him. I told myself I wasn't going to get emotional. My son was born when I was 20. And this guy was just, I was attracted to him because he had a job, a house, and a car. And it worked out for me. I had a place to sleep at night that was warm. It was good. And so I was there. And when my son was nine months old, he was letting us live there. But we weren't together anymore. He was seeing other girls and bringing girls into the house. And I was working as a courtesy clerk at Albertsons at a local grocery store. And I came home and I had my son in my hands and he said something to me like really degrading. I lost my temper. I had my son in my hands. I think I had a purse in my hand and I swung it and I hit his curio and the glass broke in it. In that moment in time, I went, this is not, this has got to stop. This is craziness. And so I called a local woman's helpline. I was really young and really stupid and didn't have any covering. And I called her up all teary-eyed. I got this and, you know, just life is too hard. And I'll never forget this woman's voice. She said to me, stern as all get out. She said, stop crying. And I said, okay. She goes, you are all that little boy has that you're holding in your arms. It's time to grow up. I'm going to be at the house at nine o'clock to pick you up. You have your boy and all your stuff ready to go. And so I was ready. I stopped the crying, stopped the pity party and went, okay, she's right. I got a little boy. I can't, I can't, I've got to stop waiting for someone else to take care of me. And so I went into a woman's homeless shelter for nine months with my boy. I had a job through all that. I found my own place and moved us into our own little apartment and enrolled in college. Worked two jobs to put myself through college in Montana. I was there for, I studied about three, three and a half years in Montana at the University of Montana. And just focused on, no, Prince Charm is coming. I'm going to have to do this thing. I'm going to have to do what I want to do and provide for this little guy. So that's what I did. And then... You left Montana State University. I did. To finish my degree, I needed to be in a school that offered chemical engineering. 
and they didn't. They were an environmental engineering mining base school. So I decided I'd go out to Washington State, get my residency there, and finish there. So off to Kennewick I went. Went to work at an Albertsons there and met my current husband, Tom. We were married three months after I met him. And then... How old were you when you got married? 25? Yeah. 26, possibly. I was older. And he might have been 25. So you weren't quite finished with school when you I got wasn't. married? I wasn't. I was just getting going into my junior year. We decided to move to Lewiston because the University of Idaho had my engineering that I needed. We moved to Lewiston, Idaho, and I went to the University of Idaho, and I progressed to about 18 credits. I'm 18 credits away from having a degree in chemical engineering. Could you go back and get those 18 oh, credits? Sure. Yeah, yeah, that I get credit for all that. While I was at the University of Idaho, the Navy approached me and offered me a full-ride scholarship into the nuclear engineering program because I was on the dean's list. I seriously thought about it, but I would have had to leave my family and go to Florida for basic, and I would have had to been away. And I just, like I said, when I came out of the homeless shelter, I had my, my boy, and it was him and I through those three years, and it was him and I, no help, two jobs, paying my way through college, and he suffered. Our relationship suffered because it was at, at a Catholic school at 5.15 in the morning before anyone was ever in there, out of the mercy of some secretary's heart that came in early and would let him sit outside of her, her office. So there's a lot of sacrifice there. So by the time Haley came, which was Tom and I's first child together, I had a meeting with my chemi counselor and he said, well, it's time for you to move up here to Moscow. Now you're going to be in the lab 12 hours. That's just the way it is in the chemi program. We expect 12-hour days and even weekends sometimes. And, you know, it just, it was too much for me. I had worked so hard and so long, and I was like, I can't do this to Haley. I can't do this to another child. I cannot do this. And then in the midst, of course, I had family stuff going on. Were you pregnant when you got married or you got pregnant right after? Oh, no, we got married because we were pregnant. We definitely had a shotgun wedding. And so we moved to Lewiston and... His parents, really nice people, but they had a belief that women didn't have any need for an education. And so they refused to help if I needed someone to watch kids so that I could go to school or study. And so I had no support there. And so we're working on five years of no support. And I'm working. I'm working full time through all of this stuff. And so I'm getting older now and I'm just like, wow, I just I just want to enjoy my kids. I just I don't want to do it. So I just that point I stopped and practically had a nervous breakdown because I had to give up the thing that I wanted most in life. So I had kept the same job I worked for Albertsons already and just went into management for them. I helped assist manage several stores all over Oregon and Washington and did that for 17 years. I ended up being with that company. So I had this terrible relationship with my mother. I mean, it was really abusive and I didn't have a relationship with my father. I didn't know my father. And so I'm married to Tom, and I have stability at least. And I began to really, uh, there were times when I fell away from the Lord. Obviously, when I met my husband, I wasn't walking with the Lord. I began, see, you know, seeking him. He never left me. I'm just destroyed by the grace of God in my life. I am just destroyed by his goodness. Well, thanks for sharing that with us. This is all the bad part. There's good part. I had to tell you that background because you have to understand my background. Most people see that and think, oh gosh, you know, that's terrible. It was so awesome because everywhere the enemy swung at me, 
the Lord just took it and turned it for good. I mean, come on, Jesus. Yeah. What a story. I told you. All right. Well, we're going to do the intro now. Okay. (laughs) Welcome, Shine Podcast listeners. I'm back. It's Beth. It's Kate. We are here with Gail Taylor. Mm -hmm. So nice to have you here today, Gail. Thank you. Nice to be here. Thanks for having me. Gail, she's a Northwest girl. She was Mm -hmm. born in Anaconda, Montana, which is a small mining town in Western Montana. Anaconda? She spent her childhood in Montana and Washington and Montana. And... She attended Butte High School. She ended up getting her GED, went back to school to go to college at the University of Montana. She spent three and a half years there. After she was married, she moved over to Idaho State University and continued to work on her chemical engineering degree. She's 18 credits short of that. Is that a Mm -hmm. goal? You want to do that someday? You know, I'm not sure. Maybe. We'll see where the Lord leads me. Gail was a working mother. She had her first son at 20 and was going to school and working full time, raising him. She met her husband, Tom. They got married. Very quickly. <laughs> Gail, ha- Gail and Tom have lived in Idaho, Washington, Oregon, Idaho, Washington, and then finally Ohio in their 25 years of marriage. So they have three children, Gail's son, who's 31, their daughter Haley, who's 25, and their daughter Gabby, who is 12. They've been in Ohio since 2018. Gail loves the garden. She loves cycling and painting. And she was on the bike path in Lisbon and met Dee and Jim Brown on the bike path. They invited her to come to the upper rooms. Mm -hmm. She showed up in 2019 and has been here in and out with COVID, but Mm -hmm. has been at the upper rooms since 2019. And her family has joined her here. So it's been great to have you. We're excited to have you here and learn more about you. It's fun having newer people on that have joined the upper room because this is a great way to get to know people. So we're so happy you're here today, Gail. Thanks. I'm happy to be here. So tell us, Gail, who or what turned your light on? I had a relationship with Jesus from a very young age, even before I even knew that I did. And I know that because I had a story my family had a picture of me and in the picture there was like it was those old polaroid pictures and there was like me and then there was like this big red hand there and my i can remember my family gather around that little picture going "Ooh, look at she has this scary hand trying to reach her and i'm told my grandma told me that i looked up at everyone and said i'm not afraid i have jesus living in my heart nothing can hurt me <laughs> and so i feel like i've had a relationship with him pretty young age And Gail, you have a childhood story that... An atypical childhood. So tell us a little bit about that. Uh, My mother had some mental issues. She had some drug issues. And an account of those circumstances, didn't see her a whole lot. And as a consequence, didn't have a real close relationship with her. Had a lot of struggles growing up, kind of fending for myself. I mean, you were saying it's been a relationship that you feel like if you've had for a long time. It's been me and Jesus since childhood. Yeah. Was there a point, though, I think you mentioned the older couple where you started going to church. Was there another time from then or even later yeah. where you had someone to walk with you in that? Or did it always feel like kind of me and Jesus? Thing? Yeah, I, me and Jesus. Yeah, I was always kind of a fireball. 
it was an older couple. They were in their 50s, late 50s. They'd already raised their kids. They were Christian, strong Christian. My grandmother was a strong Christian woman. And so we went to live with her. We started attending this small Nazarene church. And I think we were having a preacher's revival. And we were praying. And I just praying. I was eight years old at this time. I loved the Lord. I'd I just wanted more of him. And in that moment in time, sharing my heart and giving my heart to him, the Holy Spirit just fell. And I was baptized in the Holy Spirit. And I feel like everyone in the row felt it because there wasn't a dry eye. Everyone kind of came and huddled around me and laid hands on me and everyone prayed and everyone spoke over me and everyone blessed me. And I got up, I was riding home with with my grandmother. I call her grandmother. She's really no relation to me. And and she turned to me and said, your life's going to be different now. And boy, was she right. And after that point, you've you've had a very tumultuous life Mm -hmm. after that, back with your mom, living in chaos. Like it was kind of like on again, off again, even though Jesus was always there. So when you were an adult, how did that relationship come back to life? Because of the huge amount of instability, and and it's instability on all fronts, financial, emotional, physical, spiritual, the discipline level and the mentality level, you need to stay in that relationship with Christ. Walking at a healthy level where you're able to make good decisions really needs a good foundation. And I just didn't have that because when I left my grandmother and my grandfather's home, it was done in a deceptive environment. I was literally stolen back from them. And I went back into a very dark, demonically influenced reality. And once I went into that, it was all about survival. It was about how am I going to survive? How am I going to make it? Um, It wasn't about when am I going to study my Bible? When am I going to go to church? It was about when am I going to eat again? And, you know, where am I going to sleep where it's warm? Mm -hmm. And so it became about survival. And, you know, that's that's what happened. And beauty and all that and the beauty of all the wrong decisions of not walking with Christ. and, And I made a lot of them was that he never left me. He never once looked at me in shame, never was ashamed of me, was always there with me, holding my hand and, and understanding that life can hit us and in situations and the enemy can come against us in ways that really causes us to become unstable. I always missed him. I missed his presence if I got away from him. If I was drawn away from him, it was because I just needed security. I needed some sort of sustenance. And then I would go back to him and and then I would drift away. It was just that kind of process. It wasn't until my life evolved to a point where I had a stable home, stable family life. All of the entities that would reach in out of my control into my life were then taken away, that I could go, okay, I can breathe now. I I can look for my Savior. I can reconnect. I can start doing that. And that's exactly what I did. And at that point in your life, what did that stability of being able to focus and get a foundation with the Bible and with Jesus, how did that change your life? Oh, man, it was great. Uh, It changed my life because um, the period of time in my life that I was with the elderly couple that adopted us off the street, um, I learned to work. I learned to be self-sufficient. I learned to make good judgment. I learned character, what it meant to actually be someone and do the right thing when no one was looking. 
And so once I got away from all of the, the, the influences, the negative influences, the genetic battles that happen with generational sin that come upon you that are so powerful, and your parents were created as a covering. That's what God puts your parents for in your life is to cover you, not just physically, emotionally, but spiritually. And since I didn't have that covering, that spiritual, emotional covering, you know, I was just slim pickings for the enemy. He could just come right in and take from me. And he did just that. I just wasn't a strong enough Christian. I didn't have a good enough foundation to to really battle and understand what was really happening. So when I came back to the Lord, the Lord really started me on a process of healing. It was a very long process of Him slowly revealing to me who I really was through His Word. And so as I began to get into His Word, He began to reveal, "This this is who you are. This is how you think. It's not how I think. How can we get you where the way I think? And in that process and in hours and hours of prayer and in the Word, I couldn't get enough of the Word, a transformation just really started to take place. But it wasn't overnight. There was a lot of damage. There was a lot of fracturing. There was, there was a lot of wrong thinking and wrong perspective that needed to be dealt with. And, and by His grace, He didn't just try to do that with me overnight. It was a process. You feel like you had people to do that with? Yeah, I did. I had a, I joined a local church, very large church, but I was very active. I surrounded myself with strong, mature Christians, and you know, I just kept walking. I just kept trying to live for the Lord, doing the best that I could, not always understanding why things were the way they were, why I did the things, why I thought the way that I did. And um, I had a good, strong pastor that I just love. Changed my life good Bible foundational preacher. And I, I really just stayed and soaked in that environment for probably five years. And you left there because you guys moved to Ohio. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I stayed really plugged in and, and really active in the church. And you just ran into Jim and Dee cycling alongside each other on the Greenway Trail. In my head, I'm like, what does that even look like? To just Honestly, that's kind of who I am now. And so I love everybody. I've seen them out there because they are kind of vocal. They come out and they'll sit by the trail and they had a cat and I had stopped to talk to their cat. <laughs> well, in the process of talking, I started to witness to them not knowing whether they knew Jesus or not. And that's who I am. That's just what I do, everything that I do. And they said, oh, yeah, we're Christians too. What church do you go to? And I'm like, I don't really have a church yet. And they're like, well, you should come to our church. We have a really good church. And so (laughs) I took the name down and I didn't come right away. I think it probably was a couple Sundays and then I came. That's wild to me. It was wonderful. A random little meeting. it, It was that. It wasn't absent of the Spirit. I mean, there was a check in the spirit. We knew instantly. I didn't know them from Adam, but we knew that we carried the same spirit. It was really a just magical thing. And you sound like you need to go to our church. (laughs) And so I did. It was a God thing. Mm -hmm. It really was because you know my history and you know things got real hard my first year here. So in the relationships that I developed with you and other people at this church, I was able to walk through probably one of the hardest times in my life. So tell us, Gail, what lights you up? What lights me up? I really, because of everything, because of my traumatic childhood, because of what the Lord has taught me, I've learned a lot about trauma. I've learned a lot about inner healing. I've learned a lot about deliverance. And I've learned mostly about forgiveness. So when I am out in my everyday life, I'm never alone. I'm always listening for the Holy Spirit. In fact, I'll just say, What's on the books today? Where are we going? Your agenda is my agenda. 
And as a consequence of that, the Lord will say, hey, this person needs this. Or he will bring people to me that have been in an environment like mine and have been severely trauma. trauma. They don't know. You live in this environment and it's a cesspool and you don't know that there's a different way until you get out of it. And so now I feel like the Lord really just brings me people that are hurting. He brings me people that are demonically oppressed. People that are, they don't understand why they just can't win in life. Why do they keep getting beat down? Why do they have this bad attitude? Why are they angry for no reason? You know, why do their marriages keep failing? Why are their kids in the position that they're in? And so I just come alongside these people that are hurting and I bring the truth. It's a beautiful thing to have people hear the truth. So my passion is revealing and delivering the truth to people who have been lied to their whole lives about who they are. That's my passion. I prepare for it when my quiet times I'm with the Lord, I'm always preparing. I'm always looking for the next thing so that I can take it out and give it to someone else that really needs it. And I train my children to do the same thing. This is the way the enemy can sneer you. And just loving people, not being afraid. And so that's what I live and breathe for every day. And it's all about obedience. I've learned that that's what it's all about. If you want to live for the Lord, you got to have the faith to say, I'm yours. You got to surrender that to him and just say, it's not about me anymore. It was never about me. See, the enemy tried my whole life, try to get me to believe that it's always been about me and how you did me wrong and how you did that and how come this and why can't I? And that's the lie of the enemy. That's what he does. He touches us all the wrong way and gets us to try to believe that that's who we are when that's not who we are. So your passion, you're you're living your passion, and that's how you're letting your light shine right now is yeah. looking for opportunities to spread God to people because that's what grandma and grandpa who weren't related to you right. did for you in your life was, right. you know, that four or five years that you were there under their yeah. influence stuck with you forever. Mm-hmm. E- even when you had to get back into, you know, life with your mom and chaos and a tumultuous life that stayed with you. And so that's such a powerful testimony that you can share with people that have been in hurting places. Mm-hmm. It wasn't something that came easy either. I mean, my mother was the hand of the enemy in my life and left a lot of damage, left a lot of turmoil. And I had a couple of choices. I could choose to let that define who I was, or I could choose to be who God said that I was. And in the process of choosing to be who God said that I am, I got to go back and lead my mother, not only to salvation and a relationship with Christ, but through the whole deliverance process, through the inner healing process. And I got to watch my mother, who was deceived her whole lifetime and made so many mistakes, feel and live and walk in the love of Christ. And it was amazing. And it was my way of saying, you thought you got me, Satan. You thought you had my family, but you don't. Jesus has them. And so I'm so thankful and I give all the glory to God for opening that door by giving me the wisdom when I ask for it to go back and show love and grace and mercy and forgiveness to someone who didn't deserve it, just like me. It was a beautiful thing. It's changed my life. And I've been called on the carpet. So your testimony is amazing that you're here. Oh, my gosh. Not only am I here, but I, my protege have been completely disconnected from the generational curses. That iniquity runs in your bloodline. Those tradi- generational sins have to be broken off. And so in God's great mercy, he explained to me that somebody's got to break the chain. Somebody's got to put an end to it. And is it going to be you? Are you going to be the one that finally stands up and says, enough is enough. You've taken enough. And break the generational curses. 
And I understand these things in the spirit realm now. So that's been my goal is to make sure that my children understand this is a trap. This is a trap. Don't get caught up in this. I prepared them spiritually for that kind of stuff. Well, and Chris just preached a sermon on that not too long Mm -hmm. ago about that generational curses. If you didn't get a chance to listen to that, it's on the Other Room podcast. Yeah, I heard it. I enjoyed it. It didn't come easy. I mean, the Lord delivered me. I went through one heck of a deliverance. Talk to us about that, because I don't think we've had a lot of people on here that have talked about going through deliverance. Mm -hmm. And Can you tell us about that experience and and how your life changed afterwards? Yeah. So let me just give a little bit of clarity, because I know that this church, and praise God for this, is got a focus towards that. I think you guys call it Sozo Ministry. And so Sozo is really about inner healing, which is really important. It's not exactly deliverance, so to speak. They're connected. And so I, what I went through, I did have inner healing, but I didn't go to a ministry for that. I went to a ministry for deliverance exclusively. Because I had so much generational sin, because I had so much personal sin, I had made some covenants with the enemy. I had went and seen a tarot card reader. I'd gotten hooked up into some psychic interpretation for my life. You know, broken those, done those things that God says, hey, just don't do that because you're going to get hurt if you do that. And you are going to. And so through the process of not having a spiritual covering growing up, I had a lot of wounds. I had a lot of wounds. And when you have wounds and when you have trauma and you have generational sin and you have your own sins that you got to account for, you end up with a plethora of demonic influences in your life. Mostly those are really there just to destroy any kind of chance of you getting what God has planned for you to get. And so I had gotten back with the Lord and I had spent a good decade studying His Word any way that I could get the Word in me. I was getting it in me in the podcast, reading it. I just was in the Word. And my mother, who I had, the Lord asked me to lay hands on her and pray. And I laid my hands on her and prayed with my sister and asked for a return, asked for God to return to our family what the enemy had stole. And after that prayer, I really just felt the Holy Spirit say, yeah, I'm going to do that for you. Not only am I going to do it for you, but I'm going to do it for those in your inner circle of family as well. And that started a whole process of deliverance. The Lord led me to this person and that person and this ministry and that ministry. A lot of the deliverance I did myself. And when I got to a point where I couldn't go any further, the Lord, I mean, a lot of the deliverance that I did, I think it was the sozo part. It was the healing part where the Lord would bring one thing to me. Like uh, when I was when I was a young girl, I had a wet bedding. I wet the bed. And I had accident. My mom came home from a party and I crawled in bed with her and I wet the bed on her. And my punishment was for her to kneel over my face and to urinate on my face, you know. And then she told me to go and wash myself off in the tub, called me despicable, filthy child, whatever. And so the Lord would bring these things, which were terrible. He would bring them to my memory and he would say, we're going to deal with this now. We're going to deal with this thing that happened to you and the emotions and the lie the enemy has told you out of this trauma. And so I walked through the process of trauma after trauma after trauma. And then finally I got to the end and the Lord said to me, okay, you're done with this part. Now we're going to go to an actual deliverance ministry and someone's going to pray over you and they're going to anoint you. And once that happened, the silence in my mind was deafening. The weight lifted off my shoulders. I really didn't know who I was because for my whole life I was being told I was one thing. And once the enemy was silenced, I got to now listen to the one and only voice talking to me. And that was the Holy Spirit saying, this is who you are. This is who I created you to be. Now let's go. After my deliverance, he put me to work and... 
Jesus is so amazing. I love him so much. Changed my life. So I tell that. I say that to say that deliverance is for you to know why Christ died. Silence the enemy so you can understand once and for all who you are, who you were made for to rule and reign and to be the hands and feet of Jesus, just like this church teaches. That's why we're here. I like that we're speaking this because the idea that when there is health and wholeness, when there is deliverance, we talk about this with Sozo Saved, Healed, Delivered, walking through all of those things, the purpose is there is health on the other side. And it's so difficult to live, to live in Jesus, to live with the spirit, to live in obedience when you're not healthy, when there are those things that are holding you back. Mm -hmm. Really difficult to walk well. It's so beautiful. The story you're talking about, I just appreciated the point where you said, I walked through all of the deliverance, all of those points where God took me back to these memories and these things. I was able to forgive, find healing in that. And then... You reached a point where mm -hmm. God was like, okay, well, now you can begin to share your life. Amen. Before that, it's so difficult to pour out. Finding healing lets us be able to serve mm -hmm. so much better. <laughs> yeah. When we live our lives focused on us, we're not going to get very far. When you go through the deliverance process, what it really says is that it's always really ever been about Jesus in me. I have died. It's no longer I that live, but Christ who lives in me. And then you can really live because now you're not bound by what do I do for a living? Do, do people like me? I hope I didn't offend that guy. You're just free to be Jesus. And, and no one can offend you because you're dead. You're supposed to be dead. So you should never have an offense. You can't offend a dead person. And you should never take anything personal anymore because Christ never took us personal. That's what deliverance did for me is it really just caused me to look and say, you did all this for me. And I was nothing. I was really, the, according to the world standards, I got told your mother was a welfare bum. You're going to be a welfare bum and you'll never amount to anything. And that was the enemy's plan for my life. See how that turned out for him? And I'm able to love others with the love of Christ. And that's a beautiful thing. I don't want to live my life any other way. It's something that's impossible on our own. Yeah. You can't do it. And we can't do it. The word of God is my standard. And that is what saved everything by doing what I believed. Well, I feel like there's been so much supernatural talk already. Yeah. But mm -hmm. for the last question, do you have a supernatural story to tell outside of all of this? Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Wow. You know, the first time I... I probably would revisit the first time I came to this church. When I finally re reached my deliverance, my, I went through my deliverance, something happened and my spiritual eyes were opened and I really could see. And as I would go out into society, Holy Spirit would tell me things about people that were hurting. And I always seemed to be in the right place at the right time. And I think all of us Christians have that happen. It's not, that's to me is normal. That's not supernatural. The supernatural thing that happened to me is I... Because I was separated from my sister through all the trauma, we weren't very close. In fact, she hated me because I was mom. And I made her do all the things she didn't want to do, you know, eat, eat your beans, right? So um, we didn't have a real close relationship. I was headed down early one morning to the University of Idaho. I was just a beautiful day bobbing along. And the Lord said to me, pull your car over and text your sister right now. And I was like, oh, I've got to get there on time. I don't have time for this, Lord. And I blew him off. 
And about five minutes later, Laura said, right now, pull your car over and text your sister. Now, do it now. And I'm like, oh, you know, I'm irritated. I'm actually irritated with God. I'm like, okay, what do you want me to say? Laura says, tell her, hold on, I'm making a way for you. That's all you need to say. And I did. I texted her, hold on. The Lord says, you want me to tell you, hold on, he's making a way for you. I texted her through my phone, didn't even look for a reply. We weren't talking. Get all about it. And she gets hooked up with the same church that I got to deliverance at. This is like two years later. And I'm driving with my car to go to the coast with my husband. And we're listening to a podcast, believe it or not, of this her testimony of her deliverance. I was riding with my husband and my sister saying, well, you know, I've been dealing with the spirit of death and the spirit of suicide. And my sister doesn't know this, but I decided I was going to take my life. So I got my nine millimeter out, put it in my closet, loaded it and had it ready. Got my kids off to school. I went in the closet and put it up to my mouth and I was getting ready to pull the trigger when my phone went beep. And she said, I just glanced down to see who it was. And I saw it was my sister. And the text said, just hold on. I'm making a way for you. And she said she burst down in tears and and it saved her life. And that one moment of time, that one moment of obedience made a difference. And she's telling this. My sister doesn't even know this. I never even told her. And I just started screaming in the car. I was like, oh my God, what if I had not been obedient? What if in that moment of time, it for once wasn't about me? Just for that one moment of time, it wasn't about me anymore. It was about somebody else. And it saved her life. So praise God. We serve a God that's awesome. Mm -hmm. I am a testimony of the goodness of God my life. You, you definitely are. And we're so grateful that you came and were vulnerable and shared with us. And, you know, if you're out there listening and you feel like your life is hard and the devil's after you and you feel like he's winning, I just Amen. hope that Gail's story brings a lot of hope to you that Jesus has you and loves you and wants a better life for you. And, you know, if you're a part of our church and are interested in the Sozo ministry, which is our inner healing ministry, reach out and contact Lynn Hamilton and yes. get an appointment with somebody from our Sozo team because you don't have to live right. like this for the rest of your life. There is hope and Jesus wants to offer you that freedom. So amen to that. Gail, thanks. Thanks for coming. Thanks for having me. Make sure you tune in next I'll week. Sure to say it right this time. Yeah. <laughs> Correct us, please. Make sure you tune in next week for another special guest. Bye. Bye.